Hello, and welcome to Shut Up and Jimmer, your favorite all-hoops BYU basketball podcast. I am here as your host, Steve Pierce, and joined, as always, by my co-host, Robbie McCombs. Robbie, how are you this week? Doing good, Steve. Episode three now. Fun week. You know, it's a jam-packed week of basketball. Three basketball games. I mean, that's pretty rare we get that. That'd be the only time we get it this season. I mean, football's bowl eligible, so I mean... Football is not terrible. We'll see how the Holy War goes this weekend. Pretty low hopes on that one, but hey, you never know. But I mean, basketball's doing its thing. It's got a big game this week, so you know I'm excited. Yeah, it was three games this week. That's a lot of games. I'm not gonna lie. I, I love BYU basketball more than most people. I think, but even for me, three games in one week was it was a that was a big commitment, man. That was a lot. Yeah, it almost felt a little bit like NBA. You know, NBA. You got if you follow an NBA team. You, a lot of times you got three games a week. So yeah, three is two. I think two is the perfect amount for college basketball for BYU basketball. It gives you a little bit of time to kind of process what happened. So yeah, I agree. Three is a little much. So, but we'll go back into the rhythm this week with two games. Yeah. And we've got, it will at least give us a lot to talk about uh, this week. So we'll want to dive into those games and talking about what we saw um, right quick. But before we do that, just a reminder that uh, we are, if you are listening to this on vanquishthefoe.com, you found this through Twitter or a link somewhere, just a reminder that we are on all of the podcast platforms that you could possibly uh, think of. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, a bunch more. Uh, So if you use one of those apps or those platforms, platforms, please find us on there. Subscribe to us. Um, we love subscribers. That makes sure that you get the, the new episodes as soon as they become available right to your phone. And then also really big help to us if you, when you rate us five-star review, we love to get a five-star rating and then a review that helps, uh, helps us show up in, uh, on the, on the charts, uh, and helps us find more listeners just like you. So subscribe, rate, review. If you can do that for us, you'll be our best friends forever. Now, with the uh, usual self-promotion out of the way, let's dive into this uh, jam-packed week, Robbie. Uh, three games, uh, one against Northwestern State, one against Oral Roberts, one against Alabama A&M. All victories for BYU ranging in the 20 to 30 point margin. Um, all, you know, just from the base results, all, all good. I mean, it's better to win these games than lose them, obviously. Uh, but let's do what we normally do. And let's first talk about we're going to look just because there's not a lot to distinguish between these games. I think we feel like at first blush, I mean, a 30 point win versus Alabama A&M versus a 20 point win against Northwestern state. There's, there weren't huge differences and discrepancies there. So we're just going to talk about them all at once and talk about the week generally. And let's start by, by diving into, you know, what we, what we saw that we liked, what was good, who was good. um, What was positive this week for BYU? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we, it was what we got it was it was expected. You know, BYU had three teams that they were heavily favored against. And Alabama A and M was the worst of the three teams, and BYU obviously took care of them easiest. Started out really well, beat them by thirty-one points. You know, you know, Steve Vegas is crazy to me how they predict some of these spreads. I mean, every all three of these spreads were BYU. The final score is pretty much right on the money. Um, the only spread BYU didn't cover is Alabama A and M. They missed it by half a point, but. I mean, that's the, that, if that, Vegas has some voodoo magic. I, I don't, Vegas, I don't know how they those do guys it. are. They're wizards. They're they they're they're magic people. I yeah. don't understand it. It's it's crazy though. Yeah, I, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little biased with Vegas. I think they're great, partly because I grew up in Las Vegas. But I mean, yeah, anyways, yeah, it's crazy what they do. But kind off topic a little bit. But yeah, kind of things uh, from BYU that we that we liked. Um, 
obviously we like that we BYU got the W. They did they did what they're supposed to. They won comfortably each game. Neither any one of the games they were never really in question. But the one thing that really sticks out to me from these three games, Steve, um, I think is important moving forward is BYU. It seems like they're kind of starting to get to the rotation for what's going to be moving forward. And obviously that's going to change in a couple weeks. It's weeks once BYU gets Nick Emery back. But what we could tell from five games is that Connor Harding keys entrenched into that rotation. And what's really impressive to me uh, coming into the season, um, I mean, Connor Harding, he was a four-star recruit coming in, three or four-star, depending on the services you looked at. But he was really just not talked about coming into the season. BYU gets a four-star recruit, it's a pretty big deal. But Connor Harding, he was not talked about very much for as for the BYU fan base as a whole. <clears throat> but, you know, five, six games into the season, it's obviously going to be a huge part of BYU team moving forward. So I'm curious to see, one, how how his minutes look once Nick Emery comes back. Is he, he going to maybe work his way in the starting rotation? I mean, Zach Sellius is shooting well, fortunately, so I don't know if he's going to get in the starting rotation yet. But that's definitely one positive that I took away from these three games, that Carding Harding, he's going to be a, that sixth or seventh guy in the rotation. Someone's going to be really important. Going along with that, we know Gavin Baxter, he's going to be a big part of the rotation. Um, he was sick the last the last game, I believe he had food poisoning. So nothing to worry about there. He should be back. But that's one takeaway I got. The rotation, BYU's getting to the rotation. Connor Harding, Gavin Baxter, two kind of question marks coming into the season. We know that they're going to be big contributors for BYU. And that's just very valuable because depth has been a big issue. In the past, BYU sometimes only could go six people deep. But once Nick Embry comes back, I think BYU could go eight, maybe even nine guys deep. And that's uh, just very valuable. Whether BYU gets in foul trouble and just BYU playing up-tempo, it's just good to have some extra bodies in there. So that's one thing I really liked. Um, do you, are you kind of seeing the same thing rotation, rotation, Steve? I mean, obviously it's going to shift a lot once Nick Embry comes in. It, it's still quite early in the season. But one thing I'm seeing is that we're starting to get a little sense of what the rotation is going to be moving forward. Yeah, I mean the Nick the Nick Emery addition is obviously the wild card, as yeah. you've uh, as you've correctly noted. That's gonna it's gonna you know throw a wrench into a whole bunch of things that you know are going to get established over these first nine games before he comes back. Um, but I think we are starting to see kind of how it's how it's shaking out. I think you know Coach Rose is doing a lot to try and play a lot of guys. You're seeing. Uh, him just kind of spread the minutes around, which he normally does early in the season. You see him playing, you know, about 10 deep uh, most of the time uh, early in the season. Um, and so you've seen that here. I think the emergence of Connor Harding is the big story um, thus far in the season for BYU. We talked a lot in the season preview about how, you know, in order for BYU to make it back to the tournament, there are going to have to be guys that were going to step up. Um, and how are we going to replace Elijah Bryant's, uh, you know, 18, 17, 18 points a game? Um Connor Harding is part of that solution, I think. And it's become pretty clear that when he is on the floor, good things happen. He does everything. He, mm-hmm. This week, he averaged 10 points a game, um, pretty consistent. He gives you about 10 points a game every night, which if you can get 10 points a game out of Connor Harding in his freshman year, that's a huge win for BYU. But he doesn't just score. He does everything. He rebounds. Really good rebounder. I mean, yes. Kyle, Kyle Collinsworth, reminiscent rebounder. I don't want to beat that point to death, but he looks a lot like Kyle Collinsworth in that aspect of his game. Good defender, stays in front, um, which is a thing that BYU has not always had. Um, moves well off the ball, which I think we'll talk about a little bit more as a, a pet peeve for me. And he's been he's been knocking down threes, at least, at least enough. He, I think he's only shooting like 33%, which is better than most BYU players <laughs> are, which we can talk about. But uh, even shooting 33% clip, it's, he's at least a threat. You have to guard him out there. He can knock down some big shots. Um, I, I think that's 
absolutely the story of the, the season so far is his emergence and what that means for the team going forward and what it means for the rotation. Like you're saying, what does that mean for a Ryland Bergerson, who, who is somebody who, you know, Dave Rose and Yoli Childs and a lot of people within the program talked up a lot in kind of the preseason media tour as he's the guy who's going to take the next step. He's the guy who's going to step up, who's been great all summer. And, you know, he, he I think he was better this week. He got a few more minutes than he normally does. But He's totally been outshone, and I think his minute, his minutes has mostly been stolen, or what he what we thought would be his minutes by Connor Harding, because Connor Harding, you just he does so many good things, you can't keep him off the floor. And so as the as the rotation gets shortened, I think you'll see him playing more and more minutes if that kind of performance continues. Yeah, it's true, and I think we t- touched on this a little bit in our preseason preview, just about what the rotation would look like. And obviously, I think both of us were excited about Connor Harding and eventually the things he would do. But at least speaking for myself, I didn't expect him to be this good this early. You touched on a little bit how Dave Rose and some of the other players talked about Ryan Burgerson being a big part and Ryland Bergerson hasn't necessarily been a liability um, for the most part but I think Connor Harding has definitely moved ahead of the rotation and I guess just kind of sticking on that rotation thing I think McKay Cannon has I think he's going to fall he's going to be the odd man out of this rotation I mean he's a guy that if he's not making open shots I mean it as a six foot guy I mean he's not obviously doesn't give you much length on the perimeter I think he's the guy now and especially in a couple of weeks once Nick Emery comes back he's the guy that's going to fall out of the rotation I mean he's another ball handler he's probably be the third string point guard so if BYU needs a ball handler but that's kind of the takeaway I got the rotation and then just some other I guess key takeaways before we go about what BYU wants to improve on um, the free throw shooting has actually been really good through the first five games um, BYU is a team they're they're making 77%, but not only are they, they making the free throws, they're getting to the line. I mean, BYU's, they're really attacking the basket. Uh, Sheer Hardnett's doing a really good job getting to the basket. TJ Haas is showing a willingness. He's not just settling for jumpers. So I think that's a, um, that's a that's definitely a positive. And obviously that will change a little bit once BYU plays better teams with better defenders. BYU's not going to get fouled as much because those guys will be able to stay in front of BYU. But it is good to see BYU make free throws and show a willingness to get to the free throw line. So I guess to kind of wrap everything in a bow from the things that I liked, I like the rotation that we're seeing, especially Connor Harding. He just looks very comfortable, especially as a true freshman. And then free throws, free throws as in BYU's making them and they're getting to the line. Um, is there any positive you saw from this week, Steve, besides those that, you, that we could take away from? Yeah, I mean, I think that the free throws are a really big thing, especially seeing as what we saw early in the early in the season in the exhibitions and the first few games. BYU actually wasn't making their free throws a lot. Um, there mm-hmm. was there was quite a few misses, and I know there was a lot of consternation among fans on Twitter uh, about how many free throws were being missed and how that you know ultimately when you miss free throws it usually comes back to bite you. Um, but that cleaned up a lot this week, and I like you know personally. They're really having, we'll talk about this in the what's what's not going so well. They're having trouble scoring from the floor, um, especially from three still. Um, and when you're not scoring from the floor, one great way to keep scoring points and keep winning is to get to the free throw line. And they are getting the free throw line a lot. They got to the free throw line an average of 25 times a game in the three games this week. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of free throws. And that's really good because those are easy shots. And if you can convert them, which, you know, like you said, they made 77% of them as a team this week, um, which I think brought their average up to around 73% on the season after that rough start. Um, that's better than last year where they shot 75% as a team, um, which was top 50 in the nation then. So they're... They're, they have the potential to be a really good free throw shooting team, and that can that can cover a multitude of sins if you're going to be if you're going to attack 
and if you're going to get to the line, um, which we saw TJ, I think, do a really good job this week, among others. Yoli does a good job getting to the line. Connor Harding does a really good job getting to the line and finishing through contact, yeah. I think, is, is one of his really interesting skills where he's, I think, far ahead where I thought he would be as a freshman. So I think that's really important. Yeah, I was going to say, even Dalton Nixon, he had, I think he had three or four end ones those first two games. He did a great job finishing through contact. So yeah, like you said, I think BYU is shooting a lot of free throws and they're shooting a lot of threes. So maybe that's kind of, maybe BYU is looking a little bit at the analytics type of things that the NBA is using, that the the highest, the, the best shots you could take according to analytics are three-pointers and free throws. So it seems like BYU is maybe going a little bit towards that approach. So be curious to see going, going forward, BYU just keeps yeah. that approach, but... I mean, yeah. Over- yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think an overall, like other things that in terms of like people that we saw that that performed well this year, individual players, I think it was great to see Zach Selyus start to get his stroke back a little bit. Um, he's shooting 44% from three on the season, which is a lot closer to his freshman year mark when he shot 50% than it was last year where he was abysmal. Mm-hmm. Um, made five threes, obviously, in the game against Al- Alabama A&M, which was, which was nice to see him get a little confidence, see the ball go in the basket. I think Jasheer Hardnett has had, had a great week. Um, he had, I think, one game where he... He was a little bit more of a non-factor, but in the other two, he was he was really strong. I think he continues to be um, a pretty consistent contributor for this team, and he's going to have to be uh, going forward. And then, of course, Yoli is kind of is the rock. Um, he's I think averaging a double double. He's third in the nation in rebounds, with thirteen, a little over thirteen a game. The guy's just he's a machine, and he's by far the best player on the floor in every game he's played no so far, other than maybe Nevada. Um, and I have some quibbles, which we can talk about when we get into the what, what wasn't so great this week uh, section about how he's getting those points and rebounds and, and what they could be due to util- utilizing him better. Um, but the guy's the guy's a rock star. He's he's incredible. Oh, yeah, he's great. I mean, it, it's just like you said, third in the nation and rebounds. And it's just it double double every single game. So, I mean, BYU, they don't have a lot of size on the floor. So it, it's especially important that ULE Childs, he's out there rebounding and he's doing exactly what's asked of him rebounding wise. And you mentioned a little bit about uh, you touched on three point shooting a little bit. So the things that didn't go well, I mean, it was nice to see Alabama a and BYU. I think that was the first game this season. We really saw the, the three point ball go in the, the rim at a decent clip. But man, Steve, the three point shooting is still not there. And what's concerning is BYU's taking a lot of threes too. I think uh, as far as the amount of field goals, field goals BYU takes, the, they're 30th in the nation of three-point field goal as at the amount of shots they take. So BYU just takes, they're taking a lot of three-pointers, and but those shots aren't going in. And BYU's getting away with it now this past week just because those opponents were so poor. But and man, moving forward, BYU's, if they're going to shoot this volume amount of three-pointers, those shots are going to have to start going through the hoop. I mean, like you said, it's nice yeah. to see Zach Selyus finally make some shots. That's definitely what he's on the floor for. But I mean, TJ Haas, he's, he's doing really good for him inside the three-point line. I looked it up. He's shooting 51% on, on two-point field goals, which is better than ULE Childs is shooting. But still, he's that's not consistent from three. We know Jashir, he's never been quite consistent from three. So, I mean, BYU is shooting a lot of threes, but they're just not going in the hoop. And I think BYU has guys that can make make threes, but, I, I mean, six. when does that become a BYU's identity? I mean, it's still early in the season, but eventually it's like, it, this keeps continuing and the BYU is not going to be a good three-point shooting team. So, I, I think BYU still needs to shoot threes just because of their, their personnel. They're not going to out-athletic a lot of teams, so they're going to need to shoot a lot of threes. But, I mean, they're getting away with it so far, but... I, I do yeah. you think BYU is going to keep going with the strategy moving forward? 
I mean, it, it remains to be seen, right? And you know, it it's worked so far against bad teams, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And Nevada, they lost that game, but they stayed in it. Nevada was also shooting horrifically that game too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how how long you can continue to hold out on this shooting just an incredible number of threes and making you know. 27% of them. That's not good. That's 313th in the nation out of 351 teams. Yeah. That's the 11th percentile. That's awful. I mean, I get, I have two kids. I go to the doctor when my, and every time I go to the doctor with my kids, mm-hmm. they give me like a sheet with like their percentiles on where they are and their height and their weight and their head circumference and all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah. If I was going to, if I'm BYU and I, if I'm a BYU fan, I'm taking my basketball team to the doctor and I'm getting an 11th percentile back on their three point <laughs> shooting. I'm a little worried oh, yeah. as a parent. Yeah. Um, I'm a little worried about what's what's going on and, and maybe we need to change some things up um so i don't know i don't know how long you can how you can how long you can stick with this or when you change strategy and that's kind of what i'm i mean i think that yeah. they could be doing more to maybe get the ball inside particularly to the yoli childs obviously yoli oh, is sure. yoli is eating mm-hmm. yoli is getting his his points and his rebounds um but i feel like they're not featuring him really i feel like he's floating around the perimeter a lot and i know a lot of that's he wants to show that he's a more perimeter oriented player for his professional stock and i totally get that mm-hmm. but from the perspective of this team winning and this team being able to score i just think putting yoli childs and they can float around at the top of the key is or catch it you know at the elbow or or higher is is not serving them right when he catches it on the block there are very few defenders who can really go toe-to-toe with them he can just go through those guys a lot of times and i just think he needs more touches down there and when he does get those touches he needs to make sure that he's going through guys and finishing strong i think he's settling for a lot of fadeaways i mean he's shooting less than 50 percent from the floor with considering you know, the type of player he is and where he should be getting his shots. Isn't that great to shoot like 48, 49% from the floor? So I'd like to see him getting easier shots, not settling for tough fadeaways uh, and see BYU kind of feature that a little bit more and maybe get some more close in post touches rather than, you know, quick three pointers. And maybe that does, you know, ultimately set up better looks from three going inside out, which I think, you know, traditionally has been what Dave Rose has tried to do. I don't think it's been that effective this year so far. Yeah. You got to feel eventually BYU is just going to kind of just go back to the bread and butter. I think maybe a little bit these last three or four games BYU is able to experiment a little bit like hey let's let's get you out a little bit I mean we're gonna steamroll these teams anyways let's play around a little bit I mean this is the time where BYU could kind of come up with that identity try out new things just since there is a bigger margin of error against these lower caliber of opponents so I think that could be part of it BYU is trying out new things they're trying out different rotations but yeah like you said I think eventually BYU that's going to come to a point where BYU's got to watch out for BYU's interests first and foremost. Obviously, BYU wants to develop Yoeli and get him to the yeah. NBA. Yeah, and I think that eventually, I think they could still get him looks on the outside more in the offense. But I think eventually, especially coming up Houston next week. I mean, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think BYU said, "Hey, let's let's get Yoeli post touches down low. We just got to win the game. We got to do what Yoeli does best instead of just kind of, hey, let's get Yoeli five threes out here like." I think BYU is going to go back to the bread and butter eventually, what Yoli does best. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you, I think it's a, it's symptomatic of the struggles of the half court offense mm-hmm. as a whole, um, which we've talked about a little bit on here. Um, 
I think it got a little bit better later in the week, particularly against, against uh, Alabama A&M, which let's be clear, you can't take a lot of great things from Alabama A&M because they're very bad. They're arguably, like, that's a yeah, very, they're arguably the worst team in the country. <laughs> yeah, that's a very bad basketball team. They were the worst team in the country last year yeah. by several metrics. Um, so that's very bad. So we can't take too much good from that. But it did look better. And I think it was because I saw them running more kind of set plays than they have in the past rather than their basic motion offense, which I think... My problem with it is it when they run it, it just devolves into a bunch of dribble handoffs. handoffs. And it's just handoffs. And like it really only engages two of the five guys on the floor because it's like a guy handing the ball off to another guy and kind of setting a pinch, a pinch screen. And then three other guys standing on the backside not moving, no screening, no no weak side action, which just makes it really easy to guard because the defense can then just load up in the middle of the paint and help off on those two guys who are involved in the primary action. And there's no secondary action opening anything up. Um, I think like those guys, you got to be setting down screens on the backside to free up shooters. You got to have like a Gavin Baxter diving from the corner when there's on the weak side, when there's somebody penetrating, that's Lob City there with him and his athleticism. I mean, I think there's a, I think you saw a little bit of that starting to gel uh, a little bit better against AM. Dalton Nixon, particularly cutting in and, and diving from the baseline when, to, when folks were getting into the paint, I think opened up a lot of layups for him. I think he had uh, quite a few points that game off that. So I think that there's work still to be done. Um, on the off-ball movement in the half-court offense, whether that's within sets or within their motion offense. Because I think when they do get off-ball movement, they look really good and they score easy baskets. But when it's just dribble handoff fest and everybody's standing around watching two guys play two-on-five, it's not great. It's not great. And so I think if they can get a little bit more motion, that'll get easier baskets uh, for everyone, along with you know featuring Yoli like we were talking about. Yeah, exactly. BYU definitely has things to clean up in the half-court. And I mean, sometimes BYU get bailed out by, you know, TJ Haas make it a long three or just throw it down to Yoli, let him get to work, get to work. So, I mean, there are some times where you could just say, hey, Yoli, just go to work. But obviously there's limitations to do that. So, yeah, it's just kind of uninspiring. Like you said, sometimes just to see just handoffs up at the top of the key for 15 seconds, then like, oh, I guess we got to do something now. So, yeah, it'd be nice to you know, even get Zach Selius, get him some ball movement off screens, just something a little bit to get some set plays. And just kind of, I guess, Steve, we talked we talked about a lot of things, what BYU did good, what BYU didn't do well. So I'm kind of just trying to, I guess, wrap everything up, kind of what we learned this week moving forward. So kind of for me, I was we talked about lineups a lot before and rotations. And I was thinking about what we've seen the best lineup for BYU. So I've, I'm going to kind of bounce this off you. Like, what do you think the best five or six guys are? Obviously, we know Yoli, he's going to be the number one guy. We got TJ at point guard. I think Jashir, he's looked really good in these first five or six games. And then the, the the last three guys, I think it's going to be a mixture of Connor Harding, Gavin Baxter, and Dalton Nixon. I think Dalton Nixon's brought a lot of good things, a lot of good hustle. He's just that quintessential glue guy you have. And he's given BYU a little bit of offenses here. He's hitting some open threes. Like you said, he's really diving to the basket, finishing through contact. Uh, we touched on Connor Harding a lot, what he does in terms of rebounding, in terms of shooting, getting to the basket, his defense. And we talked about his defense before. One play that comes to mind in particular, I think it was like the third play in the Nevada game that he is in. He was guarding Cody Martin. He was a future NBA point guard. And I remember he was just stayed with him toe-to-toe and contested a shot, and Cody Martin missed a, missed a layup, all because of Connor Harding's defense. And that was right away, I was like, 
whoa, this is Carter Harding's second or third Division One play ever, and he's shutting down a future NBA guy. So, I mean, we've, we're seeing, maybe we'll call this the Carter Harding podcast after a while because we're just singing his <laughs> praises. But I honestly really like just the poise he brings. So, I mean, those guys, yeah. and then obviously Gavin Baxter, he's, his length and athleticism. So, Childs, Haas, Harding, Harding, Baxter, Nixon, I think those six guys, a mixture, I think that's BYU's best lineup right now. Um, is there notes you want to throw in? But I think that's pretty clear. Those are the, that's the best lineup we've seen so far. Yeah. Welcome to the, the international headquarters for the Connor Harding fan club. Yeah. Um, but no, I agree. It's um, the best, like to me, the best five is, is Childs, Haas. I would throw Hardnet in there. I think he's, he's been, he's been mm-hmm. really important. And I think his quickness and ability to get to the basket's really important. Definitely. Um, and then, Harding, I, I, I would put in there, I think, when he's on the floor, good things happen. And then either either Baxter or Nixon at kind of that uh, other other forward spot, uh, depending on kind of matchups. Baxter's obviously longer and more more raw athleticism, less polished. Dalton Nixon's just the salt of the earth, yeah. you know, hustle glue guy that every team mm-hmm. needs. Um, and so it kind of depends on, on what you need, depending on who you're yeah. playing. But I think I think that's the best lineup. And I, it's a question with BYU's slow starts. They keep having these slow starts. I mean, Alabama and I'm accepted. Every game they started slow, like painfully slow. When do you make a change to the starting lineup to feature more of these more of these guys? Maybe getting a, getting a Connor Harding in there um, mm-hmm. just to change it up and try and get something different going because so far you know it hasn't worked. I think that's the open question to watch going forward. Yeah, we didn't mention Celius in there. Um, I think you could throw him in there. Obviously, he's making threes so far. I mean, he's making threes. I think he's definitely part of that core rotation just because he's BYU's best catch and shoot guy, and that definitely opens a lot up, up a lot of things even if he's not shooting just as he's a guy that people always have to account for so i think those seven and i think when nick comes in i think those are going to be your eight guys um usually you usually don't want to go much more than eight guys but oftentimes in the past three years i think BOE hasn't even been able to go eight guys comfortably unless BOE is in foul trouble but i think we definitely have at least eight guys i think rylan bergerson he's the ninth guy right now still kind of up in there a little bit um, then obviously you got Colby Lee, who's just kind of another big body if BYU gets in foul trouble. But yeah, I'd say those seven, eight guys, and when Nick comes back at least, those are going to be the guys that are going to be the core group moving forward. Yeah, and it, you're going to get to see, we're going to start to get to see what that rotation shortened, I think, here pretty quickly because it's easy to run out 10 guys when you're playing Alabama and A&M and you can, run, you can play everybody and you're going to win, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. When you start playing the Houstons of the world, like we're going to play this week and then getting in, you know, after Nick gets back, we've got a succession of really good teams that we're going to play. Um, that's when the rotation gets shortened. Out of necessity, you got to put your best guys on the floor to win those games. And so we're going to see that rotation shorten and we're going to see who's in that rotation. We'll probably see some guys fall out like McKay Cannon and Rylan Bergerson like we talked about but overall I mean I think we feel it feels like we're getting to a place after six games here at least you know pre Nick Emery rejoining the team feels like we're starting to get a better picture of kind of where this BYU team is at and, and kind of where they need to go I think the numbers say and I think that I test too the defense is still you know quite good they're 38th mm-hmm. in, in adjusted defensive efficiency according to Kempom and giving up 94.4 points per 100 possessions that's very good that's very stout it's better than la- that's a better ranking in that in that metric than they had last year when they had Heath Schroyer on the on the on the floor um, and so they're winning through they're winning through defense even though the offense has kind of taken us is kind of taken a step back a bit Um so I think we thought going into the into the season that the offense wouldn't be so much of a problem. That would kind of they would kind of be an offensive identity team like they have been for much of uh, Dave Rose's uh, Dave Rose's tenure in Provo. But 
and that the defense was a little bit more of a question mark with Schroeder gone. But I think it's actually the opposite. I think this is a defensive team right now who's winning with with pretty staunch defense, struggling to find an identity on offense. Um, but overall, you know, taking kind of a step forward from last year. They're 56th in Kempom right now overall, which is good. It's about 20 spots higher than they finished last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. And there's signs for hope, but there's still a lot of basketball to be played. And they're only going to need to climb much higher than that if they want to make the NCAA tournament, particularly as an at-large. Um, and so that starts, that climb starts by winning big games, uh, like the one they've got on Saturday against Houston, which I guess is a really good segue to segue into talking about this next week, where we have games against Rice um, and against Houston, both at home. Um I don't think we need to talk a lot about Rice. Rice is uh, currently 289 in Ken Palm, uh, or they're 289 last year. They're 276 right now. Uh, they haven't really played too many folks. They beat up on the on the other bad teams that we beat up on, North uh, Alabama A&M. Uh, they had a closer game with Northwestern State. They lost to Houston pretty handily. Um, they're bad. Um, and BYU, I think, really needs to take care of business. That's another game that BYU should win by 20 points. Uh, and if they if they struggle with Rice, I'm going to be a little bit uh, a little bit concerned. That's a bad program that that really struggles. I think the the lion's share of our focus this week should probably be on the Houston game on Saturday because Houston's a good team um, and they're coming in here and this is a win that BYU really needs to get on their home floor. Yeah, exactly. I, Rice, they're going to be about on par with what we saw with. That last week's team, I mean, they'd be a little bit better than Alabama A and M, but they're probably right in par with kind of Oral Roberts. I mean, they could play BYU tough for maybe 10, 10, 15 minutes, but like you said, I expect BYU to win by twenty. So we won't really dive much into them. I think hopefully BYU wins comfortably. If not, we'll talk about it next week. But like you said, Houston, Houston's going to be the BYU's obviously outside Nevada. It's going to be BYU's first chance for a real quality win and a chance BYU has to really. Pick, I think BYU has a good chance to pick up a quality win. Um, just kind of a little bit about Houston, given a little bit of preview on Houston. They were in the NCAA tournament last year, and they were a buzzer beater away from advancing to the Sweet 16. I don't, I don't know if you remember that game, Steve. They're playing Michigan, and Michigan came down and hit a buzzer beater three. Do you remember that game? That was a nuts that game. Was, that, that was, was a good nuts. game. Yeah, if you remember, Houston they had that guard last year, Rob Gray. That guy was really good. I think he might have been the American Player of the Year, or at least all first first team the AAC but he was yeah. good man that was a that, that dude could go oh, yeah that dude could go off and they should have won that game of Michigan like they got that buzzer beater and kept Houston from going to the sweet 16 so but I mean they lost their best player we talked Rob Gray um he was he was their kind of their do everything guy last year but I mean they were still an NCAA tournament team last year and they brought back some good guys so Priest right now they're 40th in Ken Palm so they're ahead of BYU and Ken Palm a top 40 team right now um they haven't really played anybody yet they've they beaten up on Rice. I think they beat up on Alabama A&M. They beat them by about 50 points. So, I mean, they still got some guys. <clears throat> kind of looked it into them. They're a really perimeter-oriented team. They really rely on their guards. Uh, right now, their top four leading scorers are their guards. So, they're really going to attack the basket. So some of those guys could shoot. So, BYU's going to have to really stout on the perimeter. So, I mean, I think Jasheer Hardnett, this is going to be a really important game from, for him. Um, he's going to really have to step up and guard a lot of those fast, quick perimeter defenders. Really, this is what BYU brought Jasheer Hardnett in for because BYU in the past has struggled with some of those quick West Coast Conference guards. So, I think he's going to have to really lock up on that, stay out of foul trouble. Um, so, they have really good guards. They got six eight guy on the inside who's a pretty good rebounder. They don't have great size. So, size-wise, BYU should be able to match up with them. I think it's actually a good um, a matchup for Yoli Childs. I think he's going to be able to have a good game against their against their front line. So I think 
BYU's going to have to post him up a little bit more, keep him off the perimeter. I mean, obviously, he's, he's going to take his shots. If he's open, great. But I think this is a game where BYU's really going to have to feature Yoli in the inside. And again, just Yoli always have to be, he's not the rebound. He's not to be an intimidator on the inside. I think Gavin Baxter, this is a chance for him to block a lot of shots. Houston's, they're really going to attack the basket, put some pressure on BYU's interior defense. So I think this could be a game where we see Gavin Baxter come up with some blocks, really alter shots. That would be really important. But overall, I mean, this is a great chance for BYU to pick up a top 50 win. Um, at the end of the season, Houston may not be top 50 in Ken Palm, but I think they'll for sure be top 75. So, I mean, BYU wants to make the NCAA tournament. This is the games BYU has to win to get to the NCAA tournament. They have to get these wins. The, the, the committee looks at the resume like, hey, BYU beat a Houston, you, albeit beat at home. But hey, they could be a top 50, top 75 team. So I'm excited. I mean, it's going to be the same day as the Holy Wars. So I think a lot of fans are going to be, their minds are going to be preoccupied for the game later that night. But overall, I'm excited to see this game that night, see what BYU could do at home against a really good opponent. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited for it. I think the big thing that we can watch for as fans that I'm most interested in is, does the BYU defense hold? They've been good. The defense, like mm-hmm. we just said, has been good so far, but primarily against mediocre teams and a Nevada team that didn't look like itself at all. Um, this is the first test since Nevada of a team that's actually good, not as good as Nevada, not as talented as Nevada, but a type of team that is going to give BYU a test. Does this defensive identity that they've built, that they've carried over from the Heath Schroyer era, does it hold, particularly against perimeter guards, like you were talking about, Robbie, who BYU has traditionally struggled against? Um, and I think that's going to be a really big question. One thing that I want to I want to watch for is three-point defense. BYU, mm-hmm. just on a numbers basis, from the percentage that their opponents are shooting, has actually been pretty good in, in terms of three-point defense. Um, the problem is... They've played bad teams, right? And they've actually given up a lot of attempts, which Dave Rose has talked about in the past, wanting to limit the number of attempts from three that folks, that other teams are getting, Mm -hmm. running them off the line, making sure they don't take threes. Again, to the analytics, you're talking about the most valuable shots you can take, threes and free throws. Um, And so when the the fact that they're giving up, you know, more than 23 three attempts um, a game to opponents, uh, it hasn't been a problem thus far because, again, they're playing Alabama A&M. They're terrible. They missed a lot of open looks. Actually, Alabama A&M made more, surprisingly, than Oral Roberts or Northwestern State this week. But the point holds. If you're giving up a lot of attempts to bad teams, they're going to miss a lot of those attempts. If you're giving up open three-point attempts to good teams like Houston, who has two guys who shoot over 40% from three, that can bury you real, real quick. Mm-hmm. So I'll be interested to watch the defense generally, but more specifically the three-point defense. Can BYU shut down the three-point line, force uh, force guys to, to put the ball on the floor, and then force them into shot blockers like Yoli Childs and Gavin Baxter uh, and, and really make this uh, an effective game? This is a game that BYU has to win. I mean, yeah. We talked a lot early on about you know what games does BYU need to win in this tougher non-conference schedule. A game at home against a team of this caliber, I think ESPN has BYU favored kind of 60-40. If this was uh, played in Houston, it'd probably go the other way. Houston would be favored 60-40 uh, just because the home home court's so important in college basketball. But this is a game BYU needs to win. If they don't win this one, um, it's a big missed opportunity for the resume, I think. Yeah, like you said, I mean, Nevada is the type of game you could lose at the end of, the, end of December. Mississippi State, that's a game you probably expect to lose. But that middle tier of quality games like this game, the San Diego State game, the Utah game, those are the type of games BYU is more competitive with the opponent BYU has to win. Especially with this being at home, uh, this would just 
this would definitely be a good opportunity for BYU to just start off to get that first quality win of the year. And I mean, this is a little off topic, Steve, but I was going through Ken Palm. It's interesting. BYU is projected to start the season 13 and one. So I mean, BYU wins this game. They BYU could really start get rolling. Um, they got, they've got some teams they could beat. So, I mean, this is just be a really good springboard for BYU to have a really good start to the year. So, um, I mean, some things I'm looking for, you touched on three point defense and yeah, BYU has got away with the every game so far and they would have lost to 30, to Nevada if Nevada was hitting some of those threes. I mean, it really helped BYU went to a 2-3 zone, which really shifted the tide in the game of BYU's favor for a little while. So I'm kind of curious to see how BYU defends Houston guards. Their guards can get to the basket, but they could shoot really well too. So I think BYU starts out in man because I think that's kind of Dave Rose, bread and butter, his philosophy. He likes to man guys up. But I mean, if they're getting past guys kind of like Nevada, BYU may need to go zone. And as we've seen, zone, it could kind of level the playing field. But if Houston's making threes, that it could get a little bit dicey there. So I am curious to see how BYU comes out in defense, if how, how quick, if they're going to switch those from man to zone. Maybe they'll pull the 1 3 1. That's something I kind of wanted BYU to see, especially with their link with Yoli Childs, with Gavin Baxter, even Connor Harding out there. Those are some lengthy dudes that I think could cause some havoc in the 1 3 1. Um, we've seen BYU implement that in the past. So, I, yeah, those are the things I'm looking for. Like you touched on three point defense. So, curious to see how BYU, if they're just going to go man all game or if they're eventually going to have to cave and be like, hey, we can't stay in front of these guys. Let's go to zone. So, yeah, that's, well, yeah. Is there anything you're looking for, Steve, or is that just? Yeah. What do you, what do you I, I said my piece. You know, I love. You oh. know, I love the one three one. Oh, I think yeah. we should play it more. I, uh, I know that knowledgeable folks who I respect disagree with me on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think with the length, it's a it's a nice change of pace defense at the very least. Um, I think we both think that BYU is going to win that Rice game pretty handily. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they win the Houston game? My prediction is BYU wins, uh, but it's going to be tight. I think, you know, maybe no more than a five point margin, but I think they pull it out at home. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think so, too. Houston's a quality team, but they they are going to take a step back from last year. They lost some key pieces. Um, I think BYU wins by about five points or so. I think we see like a 78 to 73 tight game. I think it's kind of a back and forth game, but I think eventually BYU does pull through. I think BYU does have the talent and with, like you mentioned, the home court advantage. Um I envision two BYU wins this week. And yeah, Houston would be great. Finally get that first quality win on the schedule and then just keep the early season momentum rolling. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be exciting to watch. I think we're all excited for it, even though I know everyone's got their eye on the Holy War. Hopefully they can keep you know a portion of their other eye, uh, at least, trained on this Houston game. Hopefully folks uh, go out, support. Uh, watch the game if you're in Provo uh, in person, and if you're not in Provo, like uh, the two of us, at least tune in and watch on on uh, BYU TV. Um, before we before we jump, let we want to take a couple minutes just talk about recruiting. This was a big week for recruiting uh, for BYU. It was the the early signing period for National Letters of Intent for the class of 2019. Uh, was this week BYU has three recruits in the class of. 2019. Uh, I don't know how f- closely folks follow recruiting. If they follow it as closely as Robbie and I do, we're super interested in it, or if they just don't care and we'll see who shows up in the fall on campus when practice starts. Uh, but Robbie, tell us a little bit about the uh, the three folks BYU's bringing in the class of 2019 and kind of what we can expect from each and, and how they might be able to fit in next year or, or whenever they show up on campus. Yeah, so let's give a quick plug on each one. So the first guy, Nate Hansen, he's a 6'3 kind of combo guard from Timview High School, so just down the street. Um, he's going to be the of the three guys, he's going to go straight on a mission, so we won't see him for a few years. Um, I think out, out of the three, I think he's probably going to be, he's probably might be a while till we kind of see him contribute on the floor. Looking at his highlights, he does have a little bit of TJ Haas to him, and that he's really crafty with the ball. He's just, he's 
good at just maneuvering kind of around the basket, kind of in a TJ Haas-esque way. So honestly, I'm not quite as high on him as the other guys. I mean, I'm never going to bang on a recruit saying, oh, this guy's bad because he's not bad. He wouldn't have signed with BYU if he was bad. But um, out of the three, I think he's not going to be a star player. I think he can maybe trip it, go into a role player. Um, so that's kind of what I see Nate Hansen. Um, the next guy, Shang Zi Li. Um, he grew up in Shanghai, China. I, I talked to him a little bit. He actually said he knows Jim. He doesn't personally know Jimmer, but he knows of Jimmer from living in Shanghai, following Jimmer at the Sharks. So um, that was really cool. He knows Jimmer, but um, he's definitely going to be a developmental guy. He's a six foot 11, 250 pound center. He's living in Southern California right now in Orange County. Um, he's a guy, even the past two years in high school, he's come a long ways. He, when he first he started high school as junior in the States, and he really struggled last year as a junior. But this past summer in the AAU circuit, he really started to come on. And um, just a week ago, he had his first double-double. Um, so he's a guy that's really continued to develop a lot in the past year. So I think once he gets into a Division One program, I think he's a guy at BYU Divisions, hey, let's develop this guy even more. So you got to like his size. He's got a solid touch. So I think he's a guy his sophomore, junior year could develop into a, a rotation player. And maybe junior, senior year, we see him develop into a starter. And then the third guy, the guy I'm highest on is Bernardo da Silva. I mean, he's almost a clone of Gavin Baxter, uh, measurable wise. And they're both six nine. They both have a seven foot two wingspan. They're both extremely athletic. So Bernardo da Silva, he's not as nearly as refined as Gavin Baxter was coming out of high school. And Gavin Baxter was a consensus top 150 recruit. But you love to see those measurables just because Bowie doesn't get guys that are six nine seven two and have forty inch verticals. So I'm very excited about Bernardo da Silva. Um, he's a type of guy. He's not going to step in day one, but he's a guy that could step in the first year in his freshman season. He could play defense and he could rebound. I think eventually with the, that athleticism, he could uh, he could develop into a really good player down the road potentially. Fingers crossed. So. Out of the three guys, Bernardo De Silva is the guy I'm most excited about just because of the athleticism he brings and the rarity BYU gets that type of athlete. So um, is there anything specific? Who's your favorite guy out of those three, Steve? Do you, do you kind of see it the same way or you see it a little different than I do? Uh, no, I think that De Silva is 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 the guy to watch there. I think Sheng Zili, I think both him and De Silva are going to be pressed into service, I think, earlier than we than we think just because BYU has a has a – lack of of big guys right now mm-hmm. because we saw Andrus and and Shaw retire this summer we saw Dastrip transfer away we assume Yoli Childs is going to go pro after this year most likely uh there's going to they're going to need some bigs to step in. Luke Worthing is going to graduate so there's going to be needs to be some bigs that step in um alongside you know Gavin Baxter and and Colby Lee who will be coming back and I think both Bernardo da Silva and Shangzi Lee may be pressed into more minutes than than Maybe we yeah, think good point. Uh, starting next year when they're on campus. Um, I think Bernardo da Silva has the highest upside. Folks that I've uh, talked to who know him well and know his game well say that he was kind of criminally under recruited. Um, that BYU potentially got a really big steal with him just because he does. He's raw, but he has that athleticism and that wingspan that you're talking about, uh, which is something that's unique for BYU and will be really interesting to see pair him on the wing with uh, with a Gavin Baxter and a Connor Harding. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. I think. I'm also excited about the fact that Bernardo da Silva, um, you know, he goes to Wasatch Academy, which is in Mount Pleasant, one of the one of the top high school programs in the country, um, just kind of in BYU's backyard that BYU has never gotten players from uh, for whatever reason. Their previous coach wasn't a huge BYU guy, um, and you know they've had guys like Emmanuel Acock go to Arizona, Kobe McEwen's now at, at Marquette. Uh, so they've they've always produced top notch guys. BYU's never really got them. Bernardo da Silva is kind of the first one that they've gotten, and uh, if you go to Vanquish 
com, you can read my article that it posted uh, in the last couple of days about how Bernardo Silva and kind of coach David Evans as is the new coach at Wasatch Academy coming over from Lone Peak High School. He's a he's a Dave Rose ally. How kind of this may signal with Evans going there, Bernardo Silva coming to BYU as the first recruit from Wasatch Academy. This may signal kind of an, a new pipeline being opened from Wasatch Academy and their their really high quality uh, prospects that they have there to Provo to BYU. Uh, BYU actually has three offers out for for guys in the class of 2020 there, including Maddie. Soko, who's uh, a top 50 recruit uh, originally from Mali. The guy is, I think, 6'9", but just so athletic, yeah. uh, big big man prospect. Um, just it would be incredible if they can get him on campus. Fun fact that you only get on this podcast, uh, Matty Sissoko has offers from everywhere, Arizona, all the big programs. Uh, the reason why BYU, folks I'm talking to, say that BYU has a really strong chance to land him, A, he's very close, really good buddies with Bernardo Da Silva, and B, uh, obviously they've been teammates, but also B, uh, his summer foster family while he's here in the United States and not at school um, at Wasatch Academy, Nate Hansen's family. Mm. And Nate Hansen is obviously <laughs> coming to BYU as well. So those are some pretty close ties um, that could help get a player of Matty Sissoko's quality, which is extremely high, top 50 nationally, that is, that, uh, to a place like that, Provo. That's the insight you'll get only on Shut Up and Jimmer, that insight right there. That's exactly but, right. No, if I just, that's if exactly I just right. Matty Sissoko, you're going to touch on the other two guys, but consensus top 40 recruit across the nation he's the guy that's he's going to be a future nba player i think so he's the guy i'll let you touch on the other two guys steve but maddie sissoko that's a guy BYU fans need to watch out for BYU can land maddie sissoko man that would be huge and think about it this way the dude's a top 40 consensus top 40 recruit probably only going to climb higher the dude has only been playing basketball for two years <laughs> he picked he first picked up a basketball in an organized fashion two years ago in molly and as transferred to the United, moved to the United States, transferred to Wasatch Academy. And just, he is just a beast on both sides of the ball. And he's only going to get better if they, if BYU can land him. Um, and you know, obviously not a guarantee, but there are nice inroads, a relationship being built there with coach Rose and the staff. That would be a huge pickup for, for BYU. The other two guys, Richie Saunders, uh, who folks might've seen playing at, at Riverton high school in Utah last year. He was a Class 6A, first team All-State as a sophomore at Riverton. Guy can just fill it up. He's a shooter, can score at all three levels. Um, Just incredible, uh, incredible shooter. Um, And I think BYU has a really good chance to pick him up based on what I'm hearing from folks uh, who are in touch with him. And then the third one is uh, Leo Colomario. He's a Brazilian, uh, also at Wasatch Academy. More of a slasher, like a 6'7", 6'8", wing Great athleticism, can get to the basket, awesome in transition, which would seem to fit well um, with with BYU's style and wanting to get out and run. I think he's maybe the guy they have of the three that they that's going to be a little tougher to get on campus. He's got an offer from Colorado, um, but he's certainly been on campus at BYU playing playing pickup in the summer. The coaches have been talking to him. Uh, so I think it's, it's just exciting to have access to these types of players where BYU hasn't, they've always been there at Wasatch Academy, at least since they kind of really ramped up their basketball program in the last decade. BYU just hasn't had access to them. So I think it's, it's, it's exciting to see uh, just opportunity to, to, to recruit and build relationships with these types of guys and, and potentially get them on campus. Uh, I think it could be, could be really exciting for BYU moving forward. Yeah, I agree. And like that, that was really good insight, Steve. But yeah, I think just having that Wasatch Academy pipeline I and mean, BYU, their recruiting pool is naturally going to be limited, but having an academy, the, a program of that caliber in your backyard, I think that's huge that that pipeline could be open. There's been some challenges in the past kind of breaking into Wasatch Academy, 
But with Bernardo da Silva finally getting to BYU, BYU finally has some inroads there. That's definitely just something to watch going forward, something that could really up BYU's recruiting game, get some more talent in the pipeline. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And like like I, like Steve said, I just want to plug that article one more time. Go to VinkishTheFoe.com. Just great insight there from Steve. I definitely recommend reading that. Thank you, sir. Um well, I think we'll continue to we'll continue to monitor that. You know, recruiting changes; it's fluid. Um, we're talking about you know eighteen year olds, seventeen year olds here making big decisions about their life. They're going to change <laughs> their minds, but we'll 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 continue following it for all of you who don't follow recruiting closely, and we'll let you know uh, as we know more. But in the meantime, on the short term, where we should all have our, at least one of our eyes focused, the the one that's not holy war focused. Big games this week, um, well, big game, Rice, and then obviously the big game against Houston on Saturday. We'll be looking forward to that. Um, we'll be looking forward to talking about those games next week as well as looking ahead to Weber State and the big road trip to Illinois State, which is going to be a tough game. Um, so we'll be back next week for that with all of uh, all of the takes and analysis and insight that we can that we can possibly provide. Again, as always, you can follow us on Twitter um, and tell us what we were right about, what we were wrong about. You can find Robbie at, at RT McCombs. Uh, you can find me at Post Jimmer. If you just want to, you know, yell at our corporate overlords, uh, you can tweet at us at, at Vanquish the Foe. And also remember, subscribe, rate, review on whatever your preferred podcast app or platform may be. We love it. We love your support. We love all of our listeners, all 14 of them, uh, or however many of you are there are out there. You make the journey worth it. And we're looking forward to being back with you next week. Go Cougars. Go Cougars.